The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. So uh, I have had pets at various seasons of my life. Um, We don't have any pets currently, but we have had pets before. But I was never the type of pet owner that took my pet along with me to like stores or in cars or things like that. And some of you do, and that's totally fine. Like that mean pets, they're like man's best friend. So you may have a pet that you're really close with and you, you take it in your car and the, the dog looks out the, the window and he's like got his tongue going and the wind in his face. Or maybe you put him, you know, like in you carry it like in a little carrier with you. So some of you do that. In fact, I just like to see a show of hands. Some of you who have pets, you're like, I actually take my pet with me places. Let's see, be, be brave, let's see it several of you, some of you very timidly, some of you actually, the person next to you had to raise your hand for you. Okay, just just be bold. All right, I've never been that type of pet owner, but those of you who take your pet with you places, maybe you can help me understand a news story that I read this past week. Um, It's of a person who took his pet and his, his wife, his name is Lee, his wife, his name is Rhonda, and Rhonda said, yeah, Lee's, Lee's pet, It's his best friend. He takes this pet like anywhere he can. And so one day he took his pet in his car with him. Now that seems normal enough, um, but that wasn't as normal as you may think because they actually, people were driving by him and his pet, they started calling the police. And the police were saying, there's a man driving down the road in his Crown Victoria and he has a cow in his car. So the police were saying, okay, that's odd. And they were dispatched and they went and they pulled this man over and they're expecting like maybe it's like a baby cow, like a calf, like in the back seat going to the vet. That is not what they found. Here's a picture of what they pulled over driving down the road. Check this out. Okay, so um, this is in Nebraska. I don't know if that's relevant, um, you know, that maybe this is what they do in Nebraska, okay? But when I saw that picture, I'm like, I don't even know what I'm looking at here. Like, I can't, there's something that's not connecting in the synapses in my brain. Like, I understand bringing your pet in your car. I understand driving a Crown Victoria. Longhorn Bull, like, put that in the mix, like, I don't even know what I'm looking at. Like, th- this, is, this is what's going on here, okay? So what this guy has done is he's cut his car, like the, the windshield in half, the roof in half, the back windshield. He took out the car. He put like a, a, like a, a cattle like fence there, and he's strapping his, his, his best friend like right into the car with him. Goes about town. Um, the bull's name is Howdy Doody. That's his name. And um, he, goes, he goes everywhere with him. So the police pull him over and he got some citations. There's some ways that that's breaking law. I'm not even sure how that's breaking the law, but somehow it is. Okay, but I, I just, I struggle to put that together. Like I can envision like a dude in his pickup truck and his Labrador next to him and the Labrador's got his head out the window. Like I can picture that. In fact, I can actually picture like Pastor Craig driving a pickup truck with his Labrador. Like can't you see that with Pastor Craig? Okay. I don't do that, but I can at least get that, okay? I could even picture, and again, I don't do this, I could picture someone with like their tote, okay, and they have their chihuahua in there, like in a little sweater, all right? 
that's not me, but I can, I mean, actually, I can picture Pastor Josh Slaughterback doing that, okay? Like, I know, like, some people, like, do those things, but I, it's just, I can't put together in my brain, like, that, that cow, that bull inside a small car, okay? Like, I, I get the basics, bring your, your pet with you, but I just don't, there's some things that, that break down. Okay, I tell you this story. I tell you this story because there is, there, there's a part of our life that sometimes it is difficult to, to understand how it fits together. And we understand the, the basics. We understand the basics, but when it comes to actually putting those pieces together, sometimes that's difficult and that's a challenge. So for example, we know that like God is with us. We know that every, he cares about every part of our life. We know that, like Jesus said, he's, he's with us and he, he never forsakes us. He, he walks through us. But when it comes to, like, taking Jesus and understanding how that plays out at work, sometimes that's hard to, like, integrate. It's sometimes hard to see how those things, like, get fused together. And sometimes it seems like you're really going to have to cut whole pieces of your workout and, and, and try and figure out how to, like, shoehorn your faith in at your work. It's hard. How do those things integrate? It seems like I've got my faith. That's something I do on Sunday. And then I've got my work. That's something I start on Monday and do the rest of the week. And it's like my faith is over here. My work's over here. But how to bring those together, that is a challenging thing to know how to integrate, to even envision how they go together. But think about it, obviously God cares about our work. It's something that we spend most of our waking hours doing. And actually, uh, whatever it is that you do, maybe you work at a school or at an office or a, a police station or a fire station, or maybe you're home with your kids or uh, whatever it is that you do, like God cares about your work. And I want you to see how he works, how this plays out in the work of a particular character in the Bible. There's a character uh, by the name of Joseph in the Old Testament. And there's a lot in his story, all the way from, from his birth, all the way to his death. There's a lot of stories in here. But I want us to zero in through this series on what it was like when Joseph was at work because there's some fascinating things it says. So I want you to open with me to Genesis chapter 39. We're gonna start in verse one. So if you have your Bible with you, go to Genesis 39, starting in verse one. Here's what it says. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. All right, let me give you the backstory here. Here's what's going on with, with uh, Joseph. It, Joseph is the great-grandson of Abraham. So here's how this plays out. Abraham has a son, Isaac. Isaac has a couple sons. One of them is Jacob. Jacob gets renamed by God Israel. That's where the name Israel comes from. It comes from the name that God gives to Jacob. Then um, Israel or Jacob has 12 sons. Those sons, their lineage become each of them one of the tribes of Israel. There ends up being 12 tribes of Israel. One of these 12 sons is a guy by the name of Joseph. Joseph um, is not one of the older ones. He's actually one of the youngest of 12 sons. He has 11 brothers. If you have brothers, if you have many brothers, you can understand 
This was challenging for him to grow up in a home with all of these brothers. And that actually played out in Joseph's life. Joseph um, had these dreams that he thought and he wondered if they were from God. He had these dreams. And in his dreams, his family was bowing down to him, serving him. Now, it's one thing to have those dreams. It's another thing then to go and tell all your brothers, hey, guess, guess the dream I just had. I'm sure you will be interested to know God gave me a dream, and you, my older brothers, who uh, some of you have violent streaks, so you, my older brothers, were all bowing down and serving me. Isn't that an interesting dream I had? Now, if you have uh, 10 older brothers, that is code for please beat me up after I tell you this dream, okay? He, he, um, they, they didn't beat him up. Actually, it ended up worse because not only did he have these dreams, but he was the one, his father, Jacob slash Israel, he, Joseph was the one who he's, is being gr groomed to take over Jacob's entire company, his whole household, all his herds, all his flocks. Joseph is being groomed to take over all of it. All the other older 10 brothers are overlooked, and Joseph is the one that's very clearly going to be taking over. He sends Joseph out to manage his older brothers and give an account of what they're doing. You can imagine they loved that. When they saw him coming, they loved it so much, they said, you know what? Let's just kill him. Let's just take him out now. Let's just kill him. But one of his brothers, his name was Judah, mercifully said, kill our own brother? How could we do something like kill him? Let's not kill him. Let's sell him into slavery. There's no money in killing him. We could sell him and actually make some money. And so that's just what they did. A caravan was coming by. Judah takes his brother and sells him to the caravan for 20 pieces of silver. And Joseph is now on this caravan going down to Egypt. What we find out from this verse is when he arrives in Egypt, Potiphar, the captain of the guard of Pharaoh. Remember, this is, at this time, Egypt is the premier, most powerful empire in the world. Pharaoh is arguably the most powerful man alive at this time. Potiphar is one of the, the is the captain of the guard. He is one of the most powerful men. Potiphar is, would be one of the most powerful men in Egypt, which is the most powerful empire in the world at the time. And he becomes a slave for Potiphar. Now, we don't really know what's going on in Joseph's mind. We don't know where Joseph is at with God at this point. But you can imagine if Joseph is anything like us, he's got to be asking, God, I had these dreams. What is this? This is not at all. Like I, I envision leading my dad's company and my brothers like working for me. I'm now living on another continent from my family. Like, what are you doing? And not only that, now he's a, he's a slave entering in. I mean, just imagine what he must do, what he's going to be asked to do as a slave for this master. I mean, he just starting out. I mean, been terrible. But Joseph has got to wake up the next day, and he's got to go to work. 
It's just the bottom line. He just has to go to work. No options. So what happens? Let's pick it up in verse 2. Genesis 39, verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house, and he put him in charge of all that he had from the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for, the, for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. Joseph um, wakes up the next day, and here's what it says, opening line, the Lord was with him. But here's what I want you to see. We don't know where Joseph was at with the Lord, but we know where the Lord was at with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. But how was the Lord with Joseph? This is what I want you to notice. It doesn't say, hey, Joseph had a tough job, but man, his worship times in the morning were amazing. It doesn't say, man, Joseph had to get up that next day, and man, he had to shine uh, Potiphar's chariot, and he was like, man, I'm so overqualified for this job, but he just put in his AirPods and turned on some worship music, and he had a good encounter with God while he was working on the chariot. He doesn't, doesn't say that. It says the Lord was with him in what he did, in, the, in, the, in his work when he woke up. And he probably, I mean, I'm assuming Joseph had time with the Lord. We see that he maintains some kind of relationship with the Lord through all of this. And, and we don't get a lot of detail of what that looks like. But what we see from the Lord is that the Lord shows up in the work of Joseph. Now imagine again, I mean, what all did he do? You know, did he, did he clean out a stable? I mean, probably like the lowest of the low. He probably, one of his first jobs, I imagine, was probably at the door waiting for guests or family members to come in with a bowl and a towel down on his knees, ready to wash their feet off, to wash the grime out from in between their toes, probably having water, dirty water, splashed up in his face. And if he's even acknowledged, probably treated at best like a piece of furniture, at worst like an animal. And God was in his work. And so as he's cleaning out in between toes, the Lord was with him in that activity. And he caused him to succeed little by little the next day and the next day. And Potiphar takes notice and he gets promoted and then promoted and then promoted and then promoted. And then eventually he's overseeing Potiphar's entire household. It's like Potiphar's the owner. Joseph's like the CEO, COO, running the whole business for him, and, the, and Potiphar doesn't even have to think about it. You know, it's hard because it's four verses there. And so sometimes it's, it's hard to just stop and realize that might have been like 10 years, maybe more. It wasn't like day one was washing feet Day two, CEO. It was a long, long road that's summarized in a few verses. God was with him in his work. 
it wasn't the job he would have chosen. And it wasn't the job he ever envisioned. In fact, I mean, what could be worse? He was a slave. But God was with him and worked with him and gave him success. It's easy to just, if we stopped here, it's easy to say, well, well, see, there you go. I mean, if, if Joseph was faithful, he did all the right things. And so if you're faithful, you do all the right things, you'll have success. But that's not where the story ends. Let's pick it up in verse 6. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. Uh-oh. Pause with me here for a second. Joseph is successful. This is over a period of many years. He's successful. He's trusted by his, his master, Potiphar, and eventually Potiphar's wife hits on him. And she says, lie with me, come to bed with me, she says. Now, just to be clear on what's going on here, this is not at a, uh, at a work party and Potiphar's wife has a little too much to drink and she's flirting with him a little bit. The Hebrew here is in the imperative. That means it's a command. That means she's trying to leverage her position over Joseph to get what she wants from him. And Joseph says, no, I'm not going to do that. And it goes on to say, I'll, I'll, for the sake of time, I'm going to summarize what happens next, and we're going to pick it up at the end of the chapter. But it says, day after day after day, she keeps approaching him with that command on his life. Day after day after day, he keeps denying her and finally says, why would I do that? Like, I've not only I've been entrusted by Potiphar to look over his household, but more importantly, I would never sin against God and do that. He drew the line in the sand. He didn't cross the line. He kept his integrity. He wanted to walk in a way that honored God. Do you imagine, though? I mean, this is, you know, he doesn't have a lot of marriage prospects. He's not going out on a lot of dates at the time. There's a temptation there for him. But he held the line. So what happens? One day Joseph shows up at, at Potiphar's house. And uh, this Potiphar's wife decides she's going to set up a trap for him. He walks in the house. And there are no other servants in the house. If you're watching the movie, this is when you're like, don't go in there, Joseph. Don't do it. Run the other way. Joseph walks in the house. It's there's no one around. And then she walks in the room and she says, lie with me. But she grabs his cloak. And at this point, he just straight runs. I don't know if, it, if his cloak ripped. I don't know if he kind of wiggled out of it, if the clasp snapped. But he ran out of there and she's left holding her, his cloak. And uh, maybe it was she just felt so rejected. Maybe she's so offended. Or maybe this was her plan all along. But when she's there with just the cloak, she calls at this point all the servants in. And she holds up the cloak and she says, that Hebrew that my husband brought in here, obviously they're having marriage problems, okay? That Hebrew that my husband brought in here, he, is, he tried to assault me. He's here to make a mockery of all of us. She tells Potiphar. And Potiphar is going to throw him in prison. Now, I think Potiphar is probably powerful enough to just have him executed, but maybe by God's, God's protection, or maybe he didn't totally believe his wife, one way or another, Joseph ends up in a dungeon. 
now. You're Joseph. We don't really know where Joseph is at with the Lord at this moment. But put yourself there where Joseph is. Okay, God, let's review. I had a dream. Things were going really well. Everything was lining up. I get sold into slavery. In my mind, I could not consider something worse than this. I'm doing the worst jobs. I'm so overqualified. But I was faithful. I didn't sin. I had opportunities to sin, God, and I didn't. I was faithful, and I saw I kept getting blessed and blessed and blessed. And then ultimately, like, it was even higher. Like, looking over my dad's business was one thing, but I'm looking over Potiphar's business now. This is incredible. Like, I see how everything's working together. And then I draw a line, and I'm obedient to you, God. And now I actually now have discovered the one thing worse than where I was. I'm in a dungeon. I mean, I, I'm, this is, I'm, I might not make it out of here alive. I mean, you're, if you're Joseph, you got questions about God's plan and dreams over your life and your career. Let's close out this chapter and we'll pause there for the day. Let's pick it up in verse 20. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Does that sound familiar? Once again, Joseph starts, he, he says, okay, I guess day one, dungeon life, and does the life of a prisoner. And God shows him he's with him. How did God show him he's with him? Was it one of those like, Paul, you know, in, in prison singing hymns? Maybe. But we don't know. What we do know is that God was with him in his work. And slowly, he's, once again, he's getting promoted and promoted and promoted. And now he's watching over everything that happens in the dungeon. Now, we might be tempted to say, wow, isn't that neat? I mean, he once again, he rises to the top. But not if you're Joseph. Being the COO of a dungeon... I mean, can you imagine what those Monday morning meetings are like? All right, guys, let's review. It's Monday morning. Okay, Joseph. Well, uh, over the weekend, the prisoner in uh, cell 147 finally went insane. Okay. Oh, that's what the screaming was. Okay. And I wondered what that was over the weekend. Yes, also, we have deployed our rat prevention program. The prisoners are not super excited about that. And lastly, on our agenda, uh, we're coming into lice season. So let's all shave our heads. I mean, this is terrible. This is what his job is. But God is with him. How is God with him? How does he see God with him? He sees God with him right there in his work. It's the things that he woke up doing. He's right there in his work. Okay. We're going to see how, what God's plan is. God's not done with him, and he's not going to leave him in this dungeon. He has more in store. But here's what you need to know. God has a dream for Joseph. And Joseph is right on schedule. It all belongs. Listen, um, Joseph had his dreams, but what matters is if those were God's dreams for Joseph.
God had a dream over Joseph, and he showed up in his work. That's how God showed his steadfast love to Joseph, and probably other ways as well. But this text tells us it was his steadfast love of showing up in his work with him, walking with him. See, here's the the challenge for us is sometimes we fall into one of two traps, Christians. On one hand, we over-compartmentalize our life. So we put God in one compartment and work in another. And so we say, hey, my faith, that's what I do on Sundays. But then, like, that's the religious side. I kind of get filled up, and then I go about my life. So I've got my, my faith, and I know God's all in that. But I also, then I have my work. That's what I do starting Mondays on. Like, that's just my job. I mean, you got to have a job. I do my job. Or I, I do what I, uh, every day. I have the same thing that I do. It's not very glorious, but it, you just got to get it done. And so I have my faith over here. I've got my job. I keep those separate. Isn't that what you're supposed to do? And sometimes we over-compartmentalize it. But the other challenge is sometimes we integrate our faith in our work, but we do it wrongly. And what we say is, no, no, I love my job. I've got my job. I've got my dreams. I've got my success. I've got what I want to see accomplished with my job. I know where my career is going. I know where the company's going. I've got what I want to do. Like, I, I have my job. And, and yeah, no, I integrate God into it. I ask God to help me with my job. I ask God to help me to reach my own dreams. God, I've got these dreams. I've got this product I need to be a success. I've got this promotion that I need. I've got this new job I'm looking for. I've got this education I'm building. I've got all of these things. I need you to help me, please. But the problem with integrating our faith with our work like that is we're not actually bringing an almighty God into our work. We're bringing God as if he's an employee. And we're saying, God, here's our, here's our goals here. Um, I'm setting the vision for what we need to get done. And I'm going to need your help getting this done. Here's your assignment. I need you to get me that promotion. But that's not how we engage God. God is in control of everything. He's the almighty. He's the beginning and the end. We surrender everything to him. God is not a consultant on our career. God is not an assistant to help us reach our dreams and our goals. God is the one that sets the goals and the dreams in our life. Listen, it's like this. God loves you too much to reduce your life to simply your dreams and your goals for your life. He dreams something far more significant far more profound. The one who authored the universe is authoring a dream over your life, and he loves you too much to reduce your life down to your dreams. He has a dream for your life. If he has a dream for your life, that means that what you wake up tomorrow to do is your calling because it's for him. You say, look, I really don't have one of those types of jobs. Like a calling, like, I, like pastors and missionaries, they have callings, okay? Like, I mean, I'm, I think police officers and firefighters and doctors and nurses, like, 
they have jobs, teachers, like they have, those are callings. Like I don't have one of those types of jobs. I'm a barista or I'm still in school or I'm practicing law or I'm building a, a company or I'm a mechanic. Like I don't have one of those types of jobs. That's a calling. Like maybe all of that applies to Joseph. Like I can get on board with that applying to Joseph. That's why it's in the Bible because this is a crazy story of a guy with a calling, but that doesn't apply to all of us. Like that's not me. I'm not one of those people that has a calling over my life. I just have a job. But can I challenge that? That's not what the Bible says about your relationship to work. I want to take you all the way to the beginning, and I want you to jot this down. I want to give you three things the Bible says about work. Go all the way back to the first pages of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. He says, let us make man and woman in our image. God says, we're going to make we're going to make humanity in our image. And then he says, and then now go out into the earth. And he says, rule and have dominion over the earth. Out of the gate in Genesis 1, he's given you and I a task that each one of us have something we contribute to that. We are made in his image and that gets carried out, carried out in how we live and work and breathe in this, in this world. Work is part of being made in the image of God. So first thing is this, work is hardwired. There's a reason why you have a special relationship to your work. Maybe you feel super fulfilled in what you do for a living. That is because you're hardwired for work. Maybe you feel super unfulfilled in what you do for a living. The fact that you realize there's something wrong there is because you have a, a special relationship with work. You, work is hardwired into you. Flip a page over, Genesis chapter 2. What does he do? Adam and Eve are in a garden that God planted, and he said, cultivate this garden. Work and cultivate this garden. He says, I planted it, but I'm commissioning you to be, to be gardeners. And they're gardeners as they're walking with God in the cool of the day. They're gardeners to God's glory. Work is hardwired. Here's the second thing. Work is holy. This was something that they did. They were gardeners to the glory of God. This is before sin entered the world. Work is not a product of sin. The corruption of work is the product of sin. Work is a product of being made in the image of God. There's not a divide. Hey, this is secular and this is sacred. This is like the spiritual stuff. This is the unspiritual stuff. He wants us to do everything we do for the glory of God. Everything is an act of worship. Your work is hardwired. You're hardwired for work. Work is holy. And here's the third thing. We have to flip a page over in Genesis 3. And this is when work gets hard. Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit. Sin enters into the world, and there are all types of consequences. And one of the consequences just spoken right there on page, chapter 3 of Genesis is he says, now as you're working the ground, thorns and thistles are going to oppose you. Now that thing that you were called to do in the image of God, now that gets difficult. So now when you go to work and there's difficult people or there's things that don't go the right way or things that break down or things that, that get complicated or there's bureaucracy or there's whatever and work gets hard, that is the part of work that is a product of sin. But work itself isn't. You have a beautiful, wonderful relationship with work because you're made in the image of God. And he's commissioning you every day to do whatever you do 
to the glory of God because he has a dream over your life. You have a calling. And if you have a calling, that means wherever you're at, God is using you. And wherever you're at, he's working you through the calling right on schedule for what you have. As we, as we think about this text, here's how this plays out. Two things. Two things practically. Notice that God was with Joseph in the very mundane, even demeaning jobs that he had at times. There is no job that God, that God would look and say, no, that's, that's not something that can be redeemed. That's not holy. No, even, even Jesus, what did Jesus do? He washed his disciples' feet to the glory of God. Whatever it is you're going to wake up and go to work and do, you can do that to the glory of God. Here's the, here's the second thing. Um, as we're waking up doing whatever we do to the glory of God, actually it literally says in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do it with all of your heart is working for the Lord. If you have a calling, then whatever you wake up and do for your job is ultimately you're doing it for the Lord, not for other humans. Here's the, the second thing. If he has a dream over your life, then you can be patient through the ups and downs. There will be ups and downs. And you can be patient because he's not wiring your career the way you would write it. He loves you too much to do that. He's writing it the way he would write it. It's his dream over your life. So wherever you are at right now, you are right on schedule. He's going to take you through ups and downs, and it's all weaving together for the great work that he is designed to do through you. You know, sometimes that's hard to believe, and I, I want us to, to close out with this uh, video. It's a video of an organization that we partner with, um, and it's, it's a video that helps us rem be, be reminded that whatever you do, it can be done to the glory of God. Check this out. I'm just a florist. Got a small shop, nothing special. Silly way to spend your life, I guess, fussing with a bunch of flowers. Sometimes I wish I was good at something else. I don't know, a doctor or a missionary, someone who really helps people. But I do love flowers. Always had a knack for it. So I do my best to make them beautiful for people. But I know flowers can't change the world. I know I don't make much of a difference. I'm just a florist.
I'm just a florist. Interestingly, tomorrow, most of us will give us an, an extra day to consider what he's called us to do. It's so tempting to just say, look, I, I want to live a life of significance, but I'm just a... Can I remind you what you're just a... You're a son or daughter of Almighty God who he works everything together for good, and he has filled you with the Holy Spirit. That's who you are. There is a calling over your life. As we walk through this series, can we dare to imagine that he has a calling that he wants to work through? He wants to be at work in what you do every day, whether we see it or not, it may be difficult, it may be challenging, but he has something that he wants to do over your life. Can we dare to believe that every person in here has a calling from God? But I wanna to speak to those of you right now, a specific group. Some of you are, you're like, hey, I'm, I'm in the dungeon right now. That's the season that I'm in. I've got a disappointment that I've just walked through. I've got something that's not turning out the way I thought. I'm in the dungeon right now. And I know that he's got some plan, but it just, it's so hard and so difficult. Can I, can I remind you that your father is no stranger to walking through those moments? You know, Joseph was sold by his brother Judah for 20 pieces of silver. And remember, Jesus was sold out by his follower, Judas, for 30 pieces of silver. He walked up a mountain carrying his cross, was nailed to a cross, bled and died to pay the penalty for our sins. And he wasn't just thrown into a dungeon. He went down into death itself. But here was what Jesus did, and this becomes a promise over all those who are in Christ Jesus. He rose again on the third day out of the pit. And so he will bring all these things. They all have a purpose. He will bring them up, but ultimately he will raise you to eternal life. But he has a plan over your life. Every part of your life has a plan over it. He is working a calling for you. What I want to invite, some of you are here, and maybe you say, look, I'm, I, I am working. Part of what I'm working hard for is I'm just working so hard for God to love me. I'm working so hard to, be, to go to heaven one day. I'm, I'm, I am working. I'm, it's not only that I just have work that I go to. I've got spiritual work that I'm striving to do. I'm trying to be religious enough, Christian enough, good enough for God to take notice of me, for God to bless me, for God to let me into heaven one day. But can I give you good news about that side of the work? All of that work has already been accomplished by Jesus. You do not get to heaven by works. It's a gift given to you fully and thoroughly accomplished by Jesus. So you can rest in the work that Jesus did. So for some of you, while you may go to work and the job and the calling that he's called you to do, but, uh, but other, some of you need to stop trying to do the work of achieving salvation and rest 
in the work he did for you to be saved. And I want to lead you in that prayer. Would everyone just bow their heads and close their eyes? Listen, if you're here and today you say, look, I want to know once and for all that I'm saved. I want to be, I want to come and just have a soul at rest that Jesus accomplished everything that needed to be accomplished for my salvation. That his work on the cross, his death, his resurrection paid for my sins. I'm washed clean. I want to know that I'm forgiven by the work that Jesus did. If you want to know that for, for sure, I want to lead you in a prayer. So with everyone's heads bowed, eyes closed, just silently make this your prayer to God. Just say, silently say to him, Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for accomplishing everything that needed to be accomplished so that I could be saved. I receive that as a gift. And I rest in the work you've done. I give you my life. You are my Savior and my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, can we just celebrate with those who put their faith in Jesus today? Look, if that was you, um, you can go to, if you're watching online, you can go to cityrev.org slash faith. It's going to ask you a couple questions so we can mail you a Bible. If you're here and you put your faith in Jesus for the first time, I want to encourage you to go to the front lobby. There is a uh, guest services table. They will give you a Bible. You can walk out of here today with God's word as our gift to you. But church, we're going to close with a song. It's a reminder that God is always with us. He's always walking with us, no matter whether we're in the ups or the downs. He's our shepherd, our provider. He's with us when we're worshiping at church and on Mondays when we go to work and everywhere in between. Let's let's celebrate that together. Would you stand with me as we Thanks sing? for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.